Welcome to Everything's Not Black and White, a podcast about perspectives with your hosts, Lala and Brian. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. We have a very hot topic today. It is cultural appropriation. And this phrasing and uh, ideology has been around for a long time, longer than most of us have been alive, actually. Um, And to help us with this topic today, Brian and I are welcoming back our daughter, Ajali. Welcome, Aji. Hello. Thank you for having me again. We're excited to have you. Always have a great perspective on things. 18-year-old senior valedictorian of her school. That's a a humble brag. It's a little humble brag. We're pretty proud of her. Um, But I think this topic, too, is very interesting um, from different generations. So it's nice to have Ajali here to give her opinion and thoughts about it as well. So for those uh, folks who may not understand or know exactly what cultural appropriation is, there's a couple of definitions out there right now. Um, So, Brian, would you like to read what the couple of definitions are? Yeah, cultural uh, appropriation is the act of adopting elements of an outside, often minority culture, including knowledge, practices, and symbols without understanding or respecting the original culture or context. And uh, another way to put it is basically you're cherry picking out what you like out of a culture instead of fully understanding uh, what the culture represents. Yeah, so that happens quite a bit. Um, We know historically in music, um, that's uh, been a very hot topic for music. If you think back to the origins of rock and roll back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, there were a lot of black artists who were performing in juke joints or places that were historically where only blacks could go because a lot of times blacks could not go and um, mix in with white nightclubs. They could perform there, but they couldn't enjoy it as a patron. So a lot of this music kind of started in in what I call the streets or in the backwoods in the country. And then a lot of white artists would see those performances and then bring it to the mainstream and make millions of dollars from that. Um, One of the most famous ones that is always um, an argument in history is Elvis Presley. Because people will say a lot of times he stole a lot of the moves and the music and the style of black artists that he heard, you know, in these clubs. Probably under the radar examples is in The Lion King. They actually used a song that was written by an African and Disney didn't give any type of acknowledgement to this uh, gentleman, even though he wrote this song a long time ago. They didn't get any kind of acknowledgement to him, any kind of financial rewards. And, And finally, people called Disney out on it. And then uh, they finally came out and settled up with the with the family. We've seen how he has uh, passed on since that time. But it just kind of goes to show that sometimes uh, people take advantage and opportunities of music and 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 things and customs that other countries have without having the permission or the understanding of why they why they use that or do that. I think a lot of it comes from when people think about what is a trend versus what has cultural significance. You know, I think recently um, hairstyles is a conversation that is constantly been having, especially when you look at a lot of legislation around states um, that frown upon black people wearing their hair in the natural state. Um, And so when you see um, people of other ethnicities wearing what we would traditionally call protective styles like braids or dreadlocks or things of that nature, and it feels more trendy and then it's more accepted mainstream than when um, somebody of African-American heritage starts to to have something, you know. So that is when it gets really sticky from um, an understanding perspective. Yes, I agree. There's a lot of controversy when it comes to dreads, especially on white people. 
Um, and I know especially people, a lot of people my age and that I hang around specifically don't appreciate that, don't support that. And it's, it's a weird, it's a weird gray area to me because, you know, dreadlocks are historically and historically have been used for, you know, black people's hair. And when you can still be fired from your job simply by wearing something like that, it could be very triggering to see someone white wear something like that and have no issues with it at all just because of the color of their skin but then you go back and you look at you know a lot of black people and the way that they wear their hair sometimes they wear they dye it blonde or bleach it blonde or wear it super straight and then it's like okay well where is the line is it is that culture appropriation because that's not how your hair naturally is and and just to clear things what color is your hair right now my hair is blonde (laughs) 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 but it's still curly right (laughs) so i think you know you bring up a great point in in you know speaking of the legislation earlier i think in a lot of ways and i know this has been part of my own um kind of corporate experience is that I wasn't taken seriously um, as a professional unless I had straight hair or mm-hmm. permed hair, right? Because, you know, black people, historically, if people um, don't understand, their hair is typically very curly. There's different styles of curls, and then they'll, you know, they can rank it from different numbers, from 3A to 4B, but it's generally curly when it comes out of our scalp. Mm-hmm. But when we go into corporate situations, because most of the time the dominant race in the corporate situation is per people who are white then they don't understand why we can't assimilate is basically the word you know so sometimes with that assimilation you feel like you lose a part of yourself so i think that's why people of color especially when they have something that is of their culture they want to protect it Mm -hmm. because they feel like it's going to be stolen from them and that leads to another question as we watched uh, Good Hair by Chris Rock. And one of the things that happens in the black community is they actually import Indian hair, real human hair from India. And it's straight and it's long and it's black. And that's another tricky area. Is that considered cultural appropriation? Because when we were in Fiji, which is 60 percent, I think, Indian and mm-hmm. uh, 40 percent Fijian, um, they had the uh, celebration of. Diwali. Diwali. Mm-hmm. And that was one of their things. Their hair was long and black and beautiful as they dressed in these, these evening gowns and, and did their dances and stuff. So it's almost, it's like, where do you draw that line? It's a, it's a very confusing uh, word because it comes with so many different perspectives. So if, in your opinion, do you feel like that's cultural appropriation? Well, I think it's interesting because that's a very complex layered thing because much of the hair that comes from India that is imported over for weave and extensions is shaved off in a in a spiritual ceremony. So it, it actually feels very wrong in a lot of ways. If you if you did watch that movie, uh, Chris Rock's Good Hair, which if you haven't listeners seen that, it's it's very telling in a lot of ways. But they the hair is in a way being given to as a sacrifice, and then people are taking that hair, washing it, and selling it to the United States, and it's a billion dollar industry. So there's something that doesn't feel quite right with that on so many levels. How, how many people do you really f- fully think they're aware of actually what that process is? Right. Not many. No, there's, there's not a lot of people who know that. It's the same thing, I guess, when you think about diamonds and the diamond culture of where diamonds are, are mined and that what pain that goes to is what I call that movie Blood Diamond because there's a lot of people that die to get those diamonds that cost so much money over here. So I think a lot of it has to do with education and people need to educate themselves about how things come to be 
And then I think when you educate yourself and ask curious questions and gain an understanding, that is crossing the line to a more of appreciation, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. than appropriation. And I think a way that I usually tend to differentiate appreciation versus appropriation is when you can appreciate a part of someone's culture and, you know, adopt that into your own habits. And that's cool if you appreciate that it's from their culture and you also make acknowledgments that it's from their culture. A lot of times the appropriation comes from when people are in the media and they take a piece of someone's culture but then they claim it as their own and then it gets credited to them and then it's like okay well that's appropriation because that's not from you that's from other people an example of that that i think of is actually voguing which started off in the ballroom scene for a lot of um black and hispanic lgbt people back in like the 80s 90s when madonna first brought it to the scene and now it gets credited to like madonna and it's like that wasn't hers that that was actually a lot of lgbt people's and it's another example of how that thing can get misconstrued absolutely so i think you know people in power who may appreciate something needs to definitely look at how can i tell the story behind this how can i give you the appreciation of what people went through for this culture Mm -hmm. for it to be real right Right. so I think that's that's a lot of it you have to take that responsibility yeah and I think that's a safe way to make sure that you're not appropriating is if you give credit to where you found it and where you learned it from yeah I want to give a I want to give a really good example that happened in the NBA in 2017 it was a viral dispute over the web between Kenyon Martin and uh, Jeremy Lin over hairstyles and uh, I want to I want to tell you what uh, Kenyon Martin said in a video in 2007. He said, and I state, do I need to remind this damn boy that his last name is Lynn? Like, come on, let's stop this. These people, there is no way possible he would have made it on one of our teams with that bull going on his head. Come on. Somebody really needs to tell him like, all right, we get it. We get it. You want to be black. We get it. But the last name is Lynn. That was from Kenyon Martin again in 2017. But I thought the way Jeremy responded to to Kenyon was not only professional, but it was very well said and very well spoken. So Jeremy replied on Twitter. He said, hey, man, it's all good. You definitely don't have to like my hair and are definitely entitled to your opinion. Actually, I'm legit grateful for you sharing it, to be honest. At the end of the day, I appreciate that I have dreads and you have Chinese tattoos because that is a sign of respect. And I think as minorities, the more we appreciate each other's cultures, the more we influence mainstream society. Thanks for everything you did for the Nets and Hoops. Had your poster on my wall growing up. So it's very interesting response back to Kenyon. um, And it basically very nicely calls him out because he has Chinese symbols as a tattoo on his arm. But then he's complaining about an Asian man having dreadlocks. Mm. So at a little bit of, I think, double standard there, mm-hmm. you know, and and how do we make sure we're not doing that? And what where what is okay and what is not okay, right? And it's so easy to do. I mean, just just a slip of a word, which I think Kenyon, after he read um, Jeremy's response, was probably like, oh, well, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I and I think it comes a lot from deep beliefs, or if you've been hurt by something that happened in your past. I mean, I think about when I was growing up. You know, because my grandmother had such a value on education and I worked really hard to be an honor student. There were a lot of black kids in my town that called me white girl 
because I chose to do homework and was educated and, and won a lot of awards for scholastics. So that always hurt my feelings that I was considered less than black because I was learning and educating myself and growing, you know, in my development. And it made me sad to think that those young black kids thought that getting education and being smart was not something black people would naturally do. Mm -hmm. So that that is something that still resonates with me as 47 years old. And I think about it still all the time. Like, how are people viewing me? you know, as an intelligent person or are you an intelligent black person? Because, you know, when you add the intelligent black person on it, honestly, that bothers me a little bit because it makes me feel like black people can't be just intelligent. You can just say intelligent person who happens to be black. That just goes to show how dangerous and hurtful stereotypes can be um, in boxing us and telling us we have to be the certain type of way when that's really not the case. Um, and I think that that goes for any and every culture. I think that every race has stereotypes about them and the way they act. And just because it's true for many does not mean it's true for all. I think on a also on a sports front with the NBA thing, there was also conversation in the baseball field with the Cleveland Indians and Chief Wahoo, the Washington uh, Redskins. And it's still, even with the Washington Redskins, it's still a fine line because there are tribes that appreciate the attention that the Redskins uh, the Washington Redskins football team gives to their their tribe and their community while other ones are still offended. So there's still that fine line. Um, me personally, I think Chief Wahoo is a little over the top because it's a character of of Indians. And it's, I don't think that's at this time is appropriate. I think we've grown beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there's always some challenges uh, in the sports industry. Well, I think with especially as we've grown as a nation, if you think about when some of these, when a national baseball league, you know, major baseball started, it was a different time and space for people where the thought of people being complete equals was not really there. I mean, even when you think about Jackie Robinson and Hank Aaron, a lot of those people being the firsts um, in these major baseballs because they used to have the Negro baseball league where they had their own baseball teams because they were not allowed in um, white teams. So, I think when the naming conventions came up, it probably was not the most respectful. Um, so when you come to 2020 and you look at where we are today, there's probably some changes that definitely need to happen. Um, but who's going to be courageous enough to say enough's enough? It's kind of similar to celebrating Columbus Day, right? You know, and people don't really want to do that anymore because he was a murderer. And so people don't want to associate you know, celebrating his life and discovery of America. Um, but it, it's kind of weird now. So I think times need to change. Uh, the, the thing about Columbus is interesting because from what I've understood, he basically the Italians built Christopher Columbus up as a hero because the Italians were discriminated against in America in the early 1900s when they came across the ship. So it's, it's, it's interesting looking back on perspective why Columbus got built up the way he did. Yeah. Well, I think um, just moving forward in 2020, you know, a lot of things have changed. Even I remember, you know, for us being young in the 80s, some of the way people talked about people of color, people of LGBTQ, a lot of things were very inflammatory and derogatory. And so we've learned to grow beyond that. And so I'm hoping having these kind of conversations that open up people's minds and perspectives will cause them to ask more curious questions and say, I'm not sure I understand it. Help me understand so I can make sure I don't offend people and I can make sure I know where the line is for appreciation versus appropriation for sure. Mm -hmm. 
And it's also like when you talk about a place like America, where so many different cultures have been infused into our history and then also our current society, there's really no way that you're not taking part of a culture that came from somewhere where it probably wasn't necessarily in your bloodline and in your heritage. And that's one of the beautiful parts is that we all come together and we all, you know, share this culture, share this world that we live in and we can appreciate each other. And that's one of the ways that you can avoid appropriation too, is like acknowledging that we all, we all take part in appropriation in some capacity. Yeah, I totally agree. Now I want to switch gears and talk about a very interesting and challenging topic. Uh, can you say her name for me? Because I don't know. I don't want to missay her last name. Rachel Dolezal. And she was on the Rachel Divide, which was a documentary in 2018 that was on Netflix, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, cultural appropriation. She is a white woman who curled her hair, tanned, and presented herself as a black woman. How do you not say that's cultural appropriation? How do you say that it is? I mean, it's it's so challenging because nowadays especially with the younger generation like our daughters here, people are allowed to identify how they would like to identify as, and people shouldn't judge them. But it is challenging, especially when it's a white woman acting as a black woman because of the challenges black people have had to face to get to where they are today. The interesting case for me for Rachel is that she was actually an advocate and she was the president of her NAACP where she was actually fighting for black rights and to make sure taking care of black people and black people got, you know, fair share and, and equitable stuff and that kind of thing. So it, it feels it's such a weird thing for me. And I'm I'm sure there's a lot of black people who would roll their eyes at me right now and be like, don't cut that girl a break. But like to me, it wasn't that she was appropriating. Like she literally loved black people so much black coach. She fought for black people. She was on the front line of protesting and doing things to help them. Um, to the point so much that she wanted to be them. Um, is that appropriation? Is that obsession? I don't know. But I think she got a raw deal from blacks and whites where she's been basically ostracized from all of society now. Yeah, it does make me sad to see how everything ended up for her and how she's being ostracized in so many ways just because I feel sorry for any human who doesn't feel like they belong in any community because that's something that happens to a lot of us especially as someone who has mixed heritage that happens a lot of the time Um, and me and my friends have had conversations a lot about this topic about Rachel Um, and the way we kind of see it is we love that she was fighting for black people yay that but Do you have to do that, like posing as a black person? You can do that as a white person. And did you have to pretend to be a black person and then get into a leadership position in this black, you know, organization and take that opportunity away from somebody else who is black? You know what I mean? Like you you didn't have to like pose as someone you're not because you can be appreciated for who you are and you can appreciate the community and the culture and still not claim it as something that you innately are when you just aren't that's a great statement i wonder if the naacp does have anybody i'm not totally familiar with who else on their leadership board but i wonder if they do have anybody of any other minority uh, descent i i don't know it's well it's a national association of colored people and that could mean any people of color but i'm sure there's probably at some point in time you know 
white people who are in leadership, just like at historically black colleges and universities, there's white students that go there. So I think it's anybody who really wants to make a difference, because I know a lot of white people who African-American studies was was one of their majors because they Mm -hmm. really wanted to understand and be better um, equipped to help and be allies and accomplices in this world. And I think the interesting thing about Rachel and you saying who who has passed to to be accepted, I think about people of color who had who usually had a parent, a mother who was a slave and a father who was a slave owner who then became a light-skinned black person mm-hmm. who at some point in time to make it easier for their lives passed as white. There's lots of people who did that in the early days. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was more for survival in a lot of ways but not even just survival to be able to thrive Mm -hmm. because you could be black and American and some survived a lot of hard things from slavery days and the reconstruction and such. But there was a different feel if you were white. And so there were a lot of people who passed their entire lives before they died. And there were a lot of people who tried to pass. And when they were found out, they were murdered or beaten. So I think it's, it's, that's a particularly sensitive subject that, I could understand why people would pass to go toward white because it seems like an easier life. But it's interesting to me that people would choose to be black, not because it's easier, but because they have an affinity and they think the culture is cool and they want to be a part of it because black people historically have had to be really strong to get through a lot of stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there is something that I think that's uniquely powerful about being black, especially being black in America. One of the things that I find uh, interesting about Rachel, and I give her respect, is she has adopted two young black kids who are now adults by now. Um, but I've adopted a young black daughter as well. So I, I truly feel that there is a sense. I'm, I'm not claiming to be black, even though my ancestry says I'm two percent. I'm not going to claim it. it oh it'll just keep coming up, huh? It, it was one percent last time up. I heard. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm saying when you have a child who's African American. There's an awareness about certain things that you don't you don't have as a white person. And um, I give her that because she she sees it through her kids eyes and raising those kids, some of the challenges they had to face and why her choice to represent herself as a black person, you know, maybe questionable. But the fact that she's out there and she's pushing these kids through life, helping them get a leg up and and helping them go through some of the struggles they've had to go through. And then she's hit there in the black community. I mean, she. She's got a, a resume. I mean, she she looks good on paper, um, and it, it just it makes me kind of sad that just because someone's white, they can't help a cause or a movement. And I I, I really kind of question whether she would have had that opportunity to be where she's at if she didn't present herself that way. I don't know. If that's a good question, and I I I wasn't there front line to see what she actually did. I just I heard of things that she was doing until it came out that she wasn't. Um, of African descent of any kind and then it became this big thing and then she literally got ostracized by everyone and so I'm like you Aji I have a lot of empathy for people who have been marginalized or displaced for whatever reason so I I do I feel for her and I don't think she did something so awful that she need, has been treated the way she did you know and so everybody deserves a second chance to come back and and continue to do good work and if she was really doing good work then she should be respected for that. I think that's a main takeaway for me is just that, you know, no matter what you do, no matter what you say to offend people, if you realize that you've hurt a certain group of people, then apologize and we should allow them to move on and we should allow them to continue to grow because we're all growing, really. This conversation is just goes to show. I'm sure there's things that 
you know, we'll say today that maybe information will come to light and we'll be like, oh, okay, that's a different way I think about that now. And it's all just about having an open mind and being open and willing to, you know, hear different perspectives. And that's what I think will keep you away from the appropriation and steer you more towards the appreciation is when you're just open and willing to appreciate someone and their culture and respect it in the way that it deserves to be respected. Absolutely. And so we know that our listeners probably have some ideas or experiences that they've had with questioning whether or not something is cultural appropriation or appreciation. And we definitely would like to hear that. You can reach out to us at enbwpodcast at gmail.com. That is enbwpodcast at gmail.com. And where can they find us on social media? And on social media, they can find us at Everything's Not Black and White on Facebook. And that's it, right? On Facebook? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. Pausing, our, pausing my reaction there. Yeah, and that's it. And I think we're going to wrap the show up with that. I think it was a great show. Uh, anybody have any questions? Like she said, email us. And any comments, love to hear from them. And uh, just give a little shout out for one of our biggest fans, Zachary, out there. We love that kid. Zach Cobb, we love you. Thank you for listening. Yep, and uh, until next time, see ya. See ya. Thanks, Aji. This has been Everything's Not Black and White, a podcast about perspectives with your hosts, Lala and Brian, a production of LBB Edutainment. <laughs>